the other thing I do, um, which I just really clued into this a couple weeks ago, like I always knew this was a recharge activity for me, but I didn't really put the pieces together is reading. Mm. And I just really realized that reading is a way that I regulate my nervous system. Wow. There's something about moving my eyes across a page, especially with a paper book. It, I feel like it calms me and it centers me and it, it really quiets my brain. And so I give myself now, I'd say at least two hours a day just to read. Like I read when I first wake up, that's what I do. I have a cup of coffee and I read. And then when I'm done with work for the day and I'm having like an hour break before dinner and my son and all that, I, I lay in the bed and read. And that really helps it like, oh, I need to read a lot. And I let myself do it. I think a lot of sensitive people think that like reading too much is a luxury or an indulgence. I think a lot of us grew up with like, are you, you're in your room reading again, like come out and be social. So we kind of have like this stigma around it. Like, oh, I shouldn't be reading so much, but I think it's a way that we do self-soothe and we calm ourselves. Hi everyone, it's Jazz here, and in today's episode, I'm reunited with my friend, writer and writing coach, Lauren Sapala. This is our ninth conversation together on the podcast now, and today we're talking about managing our energy and sensitivity. For writers and creatives, I feel this is a huge topic. I think many of us are introverts and highly sensitive people. And that comes with needing to look after our energy reserves and what Lauren actually uh, very aptly in this conversation terms our batteries, our energetic batteries. Um, In fact, I think she actually calls them energy bank accounts. So in particular, we talk about how we manage and recharge these energy bank accounts of ours, both in person and digitally. We talk about counteracting screen time and laptop scrolling. Lauren shares two helpful prompts she uses when managing her energy with emails. Lauren also shares why she reads for a couple of hours every day. And we also share what we've been up to over the summer and the things we've currently got going on. You can find Lauren at www.laurensapala.com. That's S-A-P-A-L-A. And you can find me at my new home, www.indiewriter.net. Like this podcast, in case you haven't noticed already, my new blog is now called Diary of an Indie Writer. And I'll be sharing my journey in real time as an independent artist, producing and making money from my writing. And I hope to help other writers with their writing too. You can receive my diary entries as I publish them by subscribing at IndieWriter.net. Okay, with that being said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Here's part nine of my conversation series with my writer friend, Lauren Sapala, titled Managing Our Energy and Sensitivity. Here it is. Done. Wow, you! I feel like you actually look older and wiser. <laughs> yeah, seriously, like you look different uh it might be a haircut and a tan uh maybe energetically i've got wiser we can go with that that makes me feel good 
Yeah, maybe you um, you went through some sort of soul development in Portugal. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it feels like it a little bit, actually. Yeah. It was, it was definitely, yeah, I think stuff was maybe happening anyway, but I'm, I think just putting yourself in new environments, um, in nature, with um, the right people, like, yeah, stuff kind of bubbles up. Um, so yeah some shifts definitely felt like they happened and I've kind of been back here a month now and um yeah just kind of stepping stepping into some of those shifts if you like Mm -hmm. I had before the summer started I had this like feeling it was going to be sort of like a little tunnel we were going to go through or like a separate unit of time it was hard to describe but I was like I feel like we're going to go in and then we're going to come out the other side ready for like the fall or something like it felt big. It didn't just feel like it was three months or it was like a season. It felt like we were all going into something and now we're going to come out the other side kind of differently. Mm. How how has it been for you? And I'm really enjoying the artwork behind you, by the way, that looks new. Oh, that's my husband. Yeah. He did all of this. He made the art. He made the paintings. Yeah. He made the paintings and he decorated and he put everything together. And cause I'm teaching a class right now. So he was like, we got to do a new background for you. You know, something that reflects the class theme and energy. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So he put all this together. It's really nice. Right. Really cool. I mean, you said, I know he puts things up. And so I had to ask, did he just put them up or he actually made them himself? That's super cool. Yeah, he uh, he paints, he does photography, he does graphic design, he does music, he's he does like all the art things I don't do. Like I do the writing and he does everything else. So he's also super highly creative then as well, it sounds like. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. He's really like like he is the paint spattered guy around the house. You know what I mean? He's always got paint on his hands, paint on his jeans. Like he's always making something, building something. He's definitely like an artisan like really core artisan yeah that he sounds like it for sure which which I'm not at all um but yeah so I'm finishing up the class I'm teaching a class right now for empaths and intuitives and we had our third class last night last class is next week and it's been a it's been intense it's been a really good class like I all my classes are good but this group just feels special people have shown up to the group being so vulnerable and sharing their stories and being so supportive of everyone in the group. It's been like a really sweet, special experience with all of us. I'm, I'm sad to see it in. I'm sad at every class, but I'm really sad with this one. Mm. And does it kind of looping back to what you were saying a couple of minutes ago about um, feeling like this summer was a tunnel that we had to come through together. Did you put the class together? I guess with that in mind, feeling that there was something there which could could serve um, um, intuitives and empaths at the moment I don't know I, every class I do I just kind of like get a message that it's time to do it mm-hmm. and w- this one was like you know I usually do writing stuff this one's called awaken it's really general it's for empaths and intuitives um, and I just kind of went with it and it of course it did line up with the energy of the summer um, I feel like a lot of people are at this point where we've gotten through this first big section with COVID where people have been at home. They've been like, okay, I want to just continue some patterns. I'm ready to do some new stuff. I'm not quite sure what that is. And then like a new wave has come in, like a new 
section of COVID has come in and people are really like, okay, like, what do I really need to mm-hmm. let go of? You know, what's not in alignment with me anymore? Disconnect from where are my new people? So it did. It felt like it lined up with all of that. Yeah. Yeah, it looked really interesting. It looked, um, because again, I know you're kind of quite flowful in what you put together, but this one did look particularly, um, yeah, just had like a different theme, a different energy to it, I would say, compared to some of the some of the other courses that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really did. And it's, I mean, it's been so cool. It's been about creativity, about being a healer and all the gifts of the INF person and you know, speaking of that, I, this is, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be embarrassed because I'm always like, what are we talking about? But I really have no clue what we're talking about today. Yeah. <laughs> like I tried to remember it. I was like, I can't, I have so, no idea. So somehow I remembered it. And then I actually searched our old emails just to see the back and forth we had around it. So I found, um, I closed the email, but it was about, um, I think we said, so someone wrote in and made it as a suggestion and it kind of is, yeah feels kind of current and relevant to me always but kind of I guess now as well um sensitivity and like managing our like you know we're sensitive people but how how do we how do we manage that I I was away when I was away in Madeira I got to speak to a bunch of kind of sensitive folks and someone asked me she was like how have you like have you got better I was like yeah I have and she was like how and I was like huh and I had to really give it some thought um, so kind of managing our sensitivity kind of boundaries comes into that. Um, I know we've talked about addiction and codependency, so they may kind of also filter in a little bit. Um, but yeah, maybe just speaking about our own experiences with sensitivity, um, and, and perhaps, uh, yeah, how we, how we've learned to kind of manage it and, and, and function and, um, you, I should also say, utilize it in uh, in a way that it's a strength because a lot of people go through a, a, a phase which can be a long phase of being like, my sensitivity is um, it's like a it's like a, a weakness, it's a negative, but I do think actually on the flip side there are some really beautiful benefits to it. In fact, it kind of really defines who I am. Um, so yeah. That, that was that I think that's what we no oh yeah I think that's kind of what we we talked about if that's ringing any bells well so so let me ask you when you were asked that question in Madeira yeah and you you know and you said yeah it has gotten better did the did the person say what do you do or why like did you did you answer like what you've done to make it better yeah you know what I think I'm trying to remember I think we were at like a group dinner and then I think I said a couple of things on the spot and then I latterly went back with some more stuff and suggestions of things I've read and uh, about boundaries and being an empath and, and 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 so on and so forth but yeah if I'm kind of trying to I can't I can't remember what I said but if I'm trying to kind of sit with that and answer it um I think for me a, a big part initially was a awareness of it and actually realizing that it really is a thing and more and more so that it is a thing so I had a a good friend of mine he had his wedding yesterday I had a great time I didn't drink a drop of alcohol but just from the socializing and the dancing and the music today I've been like like really still recovering from that and um yeah I just think to like 
few years ago when I was working in the city and I just was so unaware of any of it. And I think I just kind of muddled through and just felt really shitty, but didn't really know why. And just, you know, so um, how, how do I manage my energy? I think I'm, I'm fortunate right now in what I do where I've got a lot more control of my time and my energy. So um, some of it is just basics, you know, food, sleep, movement, being outside, um, creating space in my day kind of comes into that. Uh, I love water on my body. I find that really grounding and really, um, I think I read somewhere that it can kind of help uh, ground you. And especially if you've been in kind of highly energetic environments, it can help you come back to center. Like it helps me, like I'll sit in the sauna, like I did at the gym today, or, I'll, you know, sit in the bath during the pandemic when the gym was closed. Um, and I think another really big part for me is ongoing checking in with myself. I journal most days, um, sometimes just free form. And often um, the three questions that Jacob Nordby introduced me to, how do I feel, what do I need, and what would I love to have? Just constantly checking in really helps me um, keep me really close to um, my energy um, and kind of make adjustments on the fly. But also, for example, you know, this week, I've got a rough sense of what I'm doing this weekend. I might be doing something on Friday. So I can kind of, um, even though I do sometimes get excited, I can kind of make plans for just having an, a, a real awareness of what my battery will be like based on what I've got in the calendar, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I guess those were some of the things kind of on that have, yeah, just kind of come up in the moment for me. Um, I love that you said like checking in with yourself and just being aware. Mm. Um, that was the, one of the things we worked on in the first class of my empath intuitive class was checking in with the body. Because so many empaths and intuitives, we are just used to overriding our signals because we're trying to fit in from such an early age where we're like, well, everyone else can go to a full day of school and play on the playground afterwards and then go to another activity and they're fine. So I should too. Like we constantly are forcing ourselves past our limits. So I think that feels normal to us. Like it feels normal to us to feel tired and frazzled and have brain fog you know, and feel nervous and anxious. But when we start working with our bodies and one of the things I taught was, you know, every human being has a sensitivity threshold, right? And that's where your nervous system has had enough. And it, even if you're the most extroverted person on the planet, you still have a sensitivity threshold where like you've had too much. And for sensitive intuitive people, that threshold is much, much lower than the rest of the population. It just is, and you can't change it. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it realizing that and accepting that, that like, oh, my threshold is lower. It just is. There is nothing I can do about that, but work with it. It kind of changes everything because then you're like, oh, I can't go to the like football game and the tailgating party before and after. And like, the big social event that's going to last, you know, all day. Like I can't do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's, it's weird because it feels like, oh, you're putting limits on, but the limits almost make, give you like a lot more freedom. Right. Yeah. Friend of mine invited me to karaoke on Friday. I love karaoke. Can't remember the last time I did it, 
but based on especially because I've had a full day like I did yesterday at this wedding of big group I said to her um, she's also an INFP so I'm guessing it's pretty small but I said if it's a big group of people it might be a bit much for me um, but like let me know um, and I think um, you know what you said about uh, so that's the thing yeah every everyone does have a limit it's knowing our own limits and um, yeah, the body is huge because I was really cut off kind of neck down. It felt like, um, whereas yeah, when I'm checking in with myself and that's why I think I really like those questions. It's um, how do I feel? You start with how do I feel? And you, you, like the mastermind group sessions that I run and that I'm a part of, we always check in with how we feel checking into the body because um, I think that's where a lot of the answers are for us. Um, and it's also kind of why, you know, once upon a time I was trying to be more productive and reading about, yeah, how can I be more productive and get more done? And actually that's very up here and kind of the answers for me lay more in um, just how can I, how can I be more productive maybe as a, as a sensitive person, which is a little bit different. Well, another thing I've learned, uh, I've partially learned from my six-year-old son is, you know, we tend to think, oh, kids, like you have to monitor their sugar intake and you have mm -hmm. to monitor their screen time. You have to do that with adults too. <laughs> like, oh, I yeah. think we kind of exempt ourselves from it. I stopped eating sugar. I mean, like a year ago and I really noticed a difference. And that was something I used to use when I was in my workaholic phase. I have to be productive. I would rely heavily on caffeine and sugar to get me through, push me through, bolster me up. And turns out, shocker, my nervous system is really sensitive to caffeine and sugar. I don't really do well. Like now I have one cup of coffee around 6 a.m. That's it. That's okay for me. If I have a latte later in the day, it feels like I took drugs. <laughs> Like with the whole, with the calm down and like the tweakiness, like, I'm like, I feel like I took methamphetamines, you know, it really has that big of an impact. And I think we forget that because we're using that caffeine so much to push I'm, ourselves through. I am exactly the same with both of those things, caffeine and sugar. And what I've, something I've recently realized that's dawned on me is after a day or an evening of socializing, one of my one of the things I can do with the like kind of energy information buzziness overload is dive into sugar, sweets, crisps. Mm -hmm. And I realized it recently. I'm like, oh my goodness. I was like, I'm using, I noticed the pattern, the behavior. And then I was like, I'm using that to try and come back to center, but it, it's actually making me feel worse. Yep. That's a, that's a big empath thing. Oh, like, oh, I just yeah. got everyone else's stuff and I don't know how to ground it or how, or what to do with it or process it. Let me eat a bunch of carbs. Right. Like I'm going to eat a bunch of potatoes, pasta, sugar, cookies. Let me just like eat all this stuff and that will help weight me down, like actually make me feel bloated and heavy. Mm -hmm. And it will buffer me from feeling all of the energy and emotions as well. Cause it makes you sluggish. Yeah. Or even screen time. And, you know, I've talked about my pornography in the past. I would do that stuff after I'd been overloaded information informationally. 
Yep. It's what my husband and I were just it. talking about that last night. We were like, cause we both have had times in our past where we're like, yeah, you know, when you go into a porn hole and you're just like looking at video after video and it's like, you go to bed that night and maybe you're not in a porn hole. Maybe you're just in a YouTube hole. Right. Right. But you've been on the computer for hours looking at a lot of different screens or images. And when you go to bed, it's almost like they're burned on the back of your eyelids. Like you're still seeing things scrolling mm-hmm. and your brain is still in this like scattered, pulled everywhere mode, you know? And I think so many of us, because of course we have our phones, we have our tablets, we've got our laptop. We're on so many screens that we don't pause and say, wow, in one way or another, I've been looking at screens for eight hours today. Like yeah. I need to stop. I need, and I need to not even do my Kindle. Like I need a paper book or I need to go outside and look at the horizon. You know, I need to look at a tree. It's huge, Lauren. Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't have to be, I completely agree. There's something about screens and the, the twitchiness it enables us to have with scrolling and other stuff. Funny you mentioned Kindle right before we signed on. I, um, I was reading my Kindle for a few minutes uh, and I saw there's a new update. I don't know if you have a Kindle, there's a new update. Um, which it looks quite nice, but it's also, I, I feel it's been designed for us to consume and buy more books. And this is where, whether it's YouTube, all, all these platforms have got to be used really intentionally. And this is where I agree. Paper books, um, libraries, I'm thinking more along those lines because it might help me with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, something I do, and this is so nerdy but I, I love it because I love to actually buy physical books I love going to bookstores and browsing around and I love supporting little independent bookstores by actually buying books from them right and I read so fast like I just go through books and in Seattle there's quite a little um a few little free libraries I don't you guys I think have them in the UK where it's like a box that somebody will put up in their yard I was just telling my dad about this recently I was like they've got this thing in the states because um yeah, someone shared it on, uh, uh, I think on microblog. I saw pictures and it looked so cute. And I was like, what a wonderful mm-hmm. initiative. Yeah, I mean, um, there's one right down yeah. the street from me on the little island I live on. Like they're everywhere in the Pacific Northwest. There are, there are quite a few in San Francisco too. Are you, close to, like, are you close to Seattle? I'm about, I'm like an hour and a half north. Really? Yeah, so I, like I drove down there this past weekend to see friends. Like I drive down to see friends in Seattle. Have you, you, know, met, you know, you know, Peg's in Seattle, don't you? Peg Chen. I know I'm supposed to like meet up with her at some point. I was supposed to go see an art fair, like she was at an art fair and it just yeah. didn't work out. But yeah, there's quite a few people that I'm supposed to meet up with. Um, so, so what I do is like, I'll read all these books and then I'll go deposit them in a little free library. And it just makes me feel so good. I'm like, someone else is going to read all these great books I just read. <laughs> They're going to find them. It's going to be like, ooh, treasure. Yeah, that's I've, how I feel. I've not seen them around here, but I'm wondering if there's some sort of similar initiative in England that does that. I mean, I know it's like such an analog thing, though, right? Like I'm buying this paper object, I'm reading this paper object, and then I'm putting it in like a physical box. For, but I was like, I love it. It's real world. <laughs> it's you're, it's real world, and you're close to the beating hearts from supporting the independent bookstore and the author who's put those words to feeling those words in your hands and engaging with it in that way to then passing on to someone else there's a lot of um there's a lot of humanity in that experience yeah, right it, yeah it feels like there's a lot of connection right you know like real physical connection and that's what i love and i feel like just that 
that small ritual I have of like visiting different little hole in the wall bookstores, finding the books I love, you know, passing them on to someone else. It's nourishing in a way that I just can't get online. And I, th- I think people who are highly sensitive, we need like those real world nourishing rituals and interactions. Like we need to go sit in the woods. We need to actually like be with the trees, not just looking at pictures of trees online. I mean, I would say that goes for everyone, but I really feel like it especially goes for us. We need to go physically to the beach. You know what I mean? We need to get out of the the virtual world because I think that affects, that makes us more anxious overall. We have too much of it. Yeah. The Did you say it's called the Little Free Library? Yeah. And there's a website, it's called littlefreelibrary.org and there's a map. Like you can type in wherever you are in the world and it'll show you all the different little boxes on the street corners. And is it run by, is it anyone just can make one and add it to the map? Oh, it was one guy that started it. I think he was in Wisconsin and then it just spread. So like you can order one from the site, like, and it'll come and you can build it or you can build your own, you know, like there's no, there's no like rules around it. Right. Um, There, if you check out their Twitter account, they show like the coolest ones from all over. Like someone will make a Harry Potter little free library. You know, someone else will make like a ladybug or a rocket. Like they're all, they're really cool. And there are a lot of them around school. So kids can get free books. It's just a really lovely idea. Yeah. What would, um, if you were to make one and you had a, you had to design it and the theme and you, you could say your husband gave you kind of, uh, he was like, I'll do anything you want what would you choose? Well, I, th- I think right now we would have to do the solar system because my son is obsessed with Jupiter and Mars and the moons of Mars. So, or star Wars, but it would have to be something in space. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I've learned a lot about space in the have past. Months, let me tell you. Yeah. My yeah, son's I'm... very science minded. I remember him being that you've mentioned that before he's into his science stuff. Um, and I also wanted to pick up a point on um, that you said about like you, we need to be amongst the trees and on the beach. Um, I I spend half my day, about half my day, half my time working from cafes or coffee shops, mm-hmm. and part of it is for um, the warmth of humans around me, whilst also kind of being anonymous kind of strangely feel connected, almost kind of accountable with working. Um, but I think that's a big part of why I like to work from these, these spots, um, especially in the day, you know, before I've got uh, calls and other things to be getting on with. Well, and I think this might be kind of an INF thing. And this is why I love living in San Francisco, because for me, because I used to go work at the cafes too, but there's a big difference between walking into like an anonymous Starbucks and setting up in a corner, which I have done before if need be. But in San Francisco, there would be like little tiny independent cafes where Mm -hmm. I would go all the time and be like, oh, that's the owner. And his name is Asad and his whole family works here. And now I know him and his birthday is in July. And, you know, like getting to know him and like the, the personal little touches and how he prepares the food and his passion about it. Like, that really is a big part of the experience for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I have always wondered, like, is that an INF person thing? Like, I don't like big anonymous chain stores. I like little personal establishments where I can meet the owners. 
I can get a feel for their energy and their personality in the business. Like that feels really good to me, but like the big Barnes and Noble, yeah. And I can never find anything in Barnes and Noble. You know, I'm like, that's not a good bookstore. Like they just sell like the trendy current stuff. Mm-hmm. I want the bookstore where you have to like dig through the musty piles and you're like, Ooh, here's this like fourth century philosopher that nobody knows. Like, you know, I love that. Yeah. I feel like those little artisan independent ones have more heart and soul to them for sure. I mean, for me, like my, my most frequent spot is, um, I guess my gym cafe, which kind of it's attached to a gym, but it still feels very, I know the people very well in there. So it kind of feels like my small cafe. Um, that being said, so my heart is very much with those places. That being said, um, there's a Starbucks I do go to um, near me in Teddington. Uh, I also, so yeah, I'm a, yeah. So like the smaller places. So, so one of my things is it, it, I like working in the gym, but, but sometimes um, I've got to be quite, uh wary that i need to get work done so i actually quite like mixing up with anonymous spaces because i can be completely anonymous um Mm -hmm. and just sit in my little corner and get my head down without um you know being aware of what's going on around me or being like like in madeira for example at the co-working spot it was great it was amazing but one thing that happens is because you know everyone it's like someone walks by it's like you're like hey hey and there can be kind of interruptions in that sense um so yeah i kind of like to like to mix up a little bit well i wonder like as we're talking about this is i'm just thinking about that is one of the keys to managing sensitivity because i know so many inf people are like i hate going out like i'm a hermit i don't want to go anywhere Mm -hmm. and i wonder if the key is to like like your day out looks a lot smaller Mm -hmm. than a, a normal person's day like my day out might be i go meet one friend at a small cafe for a cup of tea. And then I walk down the block to one little bookstore and I buy some books and then I'm done. Like I had a day out, you know, whereas like a normal person's day out might be like, we went to the zoo and then we went out to eat. And then we, you know, like that's too much for us. So, so like when we think of a day out, we think of the normal person's day out and it doesn't feel good. So we're like, Oh, I just would rather stay at home and, and hermit up when we could just do a much smaller day out yeah i i feel like i have small i have small die outs most days but i I leave the house every day um it's really for me it's really um healthy mental health wise and also i like to start my day with um yeah i i like spending my mornings out outside of the house it also really helpful for me and really like you know I get up and then I get dressed and then I have breakfast and I leave and go to, I go for a walk to a coffee shop or I get in the car to my gym cafe or I'll get the train into London even like I'm, so I'm always mixing it up, but um, yeah, I will leave the house every day and I will have that little day out. Um, But it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty chill. It's like I go to the same spot and then I do some stuff and then I come back and I, stay in my own space I've either got you know music or I might still just be walking in my own company and then yeah like um I might see a friend for lunch one of the days or I might do some co-working with a friend and we might kind of again get some food together but very small scale mm-hmm. small scale days out right yeah that's interesting because I think I leave 
I think I leave once a week. Really? Yeah. It's a bit, well, it's a bit different for you because it's, well, it's, it's also school holidays now, right? Well, also, so I'm on like a, like I'm on an island and I'm out in the kind of the rural part of the island. Like, right, you know, right. I've told you there's an elk that walks through our yard. So I go into town once a week and I go to like post office, grocery store, bank, right? Like I do the town activities and then I come home because my husband or my husband works from home with me. And then my son was remote school for all year. So, and we have a, a big house and a big yard. So it's like our entire world is this like compound, <laughs> you know what I mean? Out in kind of out in the woods, like kind of, you know, I mean, we can see the water, like we have a beach right down from our house, but we don't leave the little neighborhood very much at all. Mm. Will um, you, will you sit in the, will you sit in the yard? Yeah. That's yeah. our main activity. Like that's what, when the day is done, when the work day is done, we go and sit in the yard. Like that's, yeah. you know, but at least you're getting fresh air set up in a fire pit and you're outside in the fresh air. You're not, you're not kind of cooped up indoors as it were all day. No, although there are some days where I'm like, oh, good God, I have not been outside all day. And it's like, it's nightfall. <laughs> I've just been like working, working, working. Um, but yeah, try, getting outside really is helpful. Going to that little beach is helpful. Like, I, I think you're, you were right on with the water. Water is so important for us. Um, and I think it does, it balances our, like the electrical charges. Right. Yes. I, I've heard that as well. Um I think it does. Again, being in Madeira was great. We had the whole time I was there, I had this most stunning ocean view. It's an island, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, the little. So, yeah, whilst I was there, actually, again, this is interesting. That first month, we were about, we were a little bit further from the co working space. So, there were some days I spent in the house, probably as, as, as many days, at least as many days in the week in the house than leaving the house but I'd be in the yard or um, yeah, we'd still have that outdoorsy close to nature-ness. Whereas right now more in the kind of more suburban, but we're still on like a regular road with houses and like removed from kind of nature in a, in a sense, which is why I like going to like, I did a walk through Bushy Park or so I think it's a little bit different. So I think, uh, and, and I, I wanted to, I'm like, I was curious to ask also like um, the village, like the bank and the shops, like, do you know, is it the same people? Have you got to know? Oh yeah. I guess they, all I mean, feel like, they probably all feel like independent places, even though, you know, you've probably got regular, regular outlets. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the same cashiers at the grocery store all the time. It's the same people at the bank. Like it's, it's a small town. You know what I mean? It's the biggest town on the island but it's still a very small town. And there are parts of the island that are really wild, that are just hiking trails and, you know, wildlife and beaches and that's, it's nothing else. Like it's kind of, it's a tourist spot for like outdoorsy mm -hmm. stuff. So very cool. there's that too, you know? Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's important for empaths and intuitives and INF people to have that connection with nature. I know also a lot of us, and I don't know if this is true for you, have like a really weird conflicted relationship with cities like a lot of us are really drawn to cities because there's a lot of energy there's a lot of art there's a lot of like interesting people right so I think there's that like crackling sort of like ooh opportunities and things happening mm -hmm. but then I know a lot of us also feel very overwhelmed by 
the noise or the pollution or the homelessness or just the amount of people. And that's always been me my whole life. I'm really drawn to cities. Like I love San Francisco. I like Seattle. Okay. You know, when I'm there, I have a good time. Um, I love New York. Like I've always wanted to go to Paris, but also when I'm in a city, I'm kind of like, Oh, this is a lot. And like, I I'm kind of just managing it and I need to get out. Like when I leave, I also feel a great sense of relief. I don't know if you've had, if you've noticed that, cause you're close to London. When you go into London, do you feel all the people and energy? Yeah, it's a lot. And like, I used to commute in and out of town every day, like an hour and a half each way. And commuting is also intense because you've got the intensity of the work day. And then you've also got like a hot stuffy train with lots of people in it. Um, so I think now, yeah, I think the pandemic has changed it a lot as well for a lot of people, like, in t- well, in terms of just how many people are getting trains and in town, like, it's got busier again, but it's still not. And this is the other thing. I think when I go, it's like on weekdays, like I went, like I went to, um, there's a place called the South Bank where you got a river and like creative spaces and like, you can just work. I, I like uh, went to work from there for a day. I met up with a friend and we walked across the river through a couple of the parks I think I came back and that was a weekday. So yeah, that's really interesting um, because London is awesome for like the, I think the cultural creative stuff happening, but for sure, like that has to be managed as uh, I guess as an intuitive sensitive person that I am for sure. I think that I think you articulate that really well in terms of the draw to cities, but also again that balance we've got to find for ourselves. Well, it's also it's interesting you brought up uh, public transportation. Like, do you guys call it the tube? Yeah, so we've got in, in um, yeah in central London, closer into town, you've got the tube. Um, for me to get into London, so for example, I can get to I uh, I can get to, to Waterloo from where I am on an overground train. So it's not the tube very different feeling to it not as busy it's overground you've still got light coming in the south bank is right there i can get i can get to the south bank without going on a tube um you've even got some tubes which part underground like the district line goes part underground but a lot of it is not underground um and then you get some which are completely underground but yeah the tube is more in town but um yeah when I was in San Francisco, the first like few years I lived there, I took public transportation everywhere. I commuted on public transportation. So we had like, it's called the Muni, but it's like subways. It's like, like you're saying, like half subway, half above ground, you know, and then some buses. But one of the huge ordeals of my life was dealing with being on the packed cars. It was so horrible for me. And I felt like something was wrong with me because I dreaded it so much. And sometimes I would get off work and I would go down, you know, underground to the subway station, the train would come in and I would see it packed. And I was like, I'm just going to wait for the next one. And I would do that for like an hour and a half. And then my husband would call me like, where are you? And I'm like, I can't get on any of these trains. Like I'm going to be a sardine in there. I cannot be so close to people. It, It was like really detrimental to my mental health you know, to get on these trains every day. And at the time I just forced myself through it. I was like, you're being a baby. Everyone else is doing it. What's your problem? Like, like you are weird that you feel so uncomfortable, but I can't even describe you the horror of it when I was like, 
on the train. And it wasn't that I was afraid someone was going to grope me or anything like that. It was not a physical thing. It was like, I just feel suffocated Mm -hmm. by everyone's energy just on top of me. I cannot handle it. And you add to that, that's like hot day. You even get sounds on the train, like things squeak or like whooshing past. It can be for the senses really overwhelming. Yeah, really over. And my whole life I've had stuff like that, where like if I worked in an office with fluorescent lights, I was like, okay, first of all, I'm dying. And second of all, I can't believe all these other people think this is okay. Like we we're working in a, an environment that is so bleak and depressing and the light is so sterile and harsh. And it feels like we're in some sort of warehouse where maybe bodies should be cut up. Like this is so not okay. And everyone's like, this it's is like nothing. The, it's like the opposite of natural light. I yeah. love natural light. And one of the reasons I love my gym cafe is because it's all glass windows and like the light just comes in. Um, and then the opposite of that is, yeah, indoor, like fluorescent. It's just, it feels like blue light from like a computer screen. It's like yeah. anti-natural. And and I'm like, I don't understand why other human beings think this is okay. Like, I just read an, an article the other day about open office plans, and they showed pictures of Google's offices and Facebook and Pinterest. And I mean, I come from the Bay Area. So and I worked at a startup that was gorgeous. We had brick walls, soft lighting. And I just assumed Google and Facebook and Pinterest, they have so much money. Of course, they'll have beautiful environments for their employees. They looked like a hellhole. Like they just looked like a big warehouse room with fluorescent rows of lights and people sitting like right next to each other. I was like, Google, what are you doing? Like Facebook, what are you doing? Really? Like you guys are supposed to be the leaders in creativity and genius. And you're just, you have no awareness of environment for your employees. Like what's going on here? Uh, And do do you know where the open plan stuff comes from? Why they do that? No. They tried to engineer, this is my understanding, they tried to engineer um, serendipity and people bumping into each other and that sort oh. of stuff. And so, yeah, I did read that, that way, collaboration, spontaneous collaboration. But I think it can work both ways. Like, again, they're missing out on a big bunch of A, people and B, creative kinds of people who will need to manage their energy because they'll be introverts and sensitive and all this stuff. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I do question whether. And I say this as someone I was working in an open plan office. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's intense. Is it really the best? Who knows? Yeah, I worked in one uh, for six years. And I noticed that all the really interesting creative people on staff would come in and immediately put on headphones and talk to no one all day. Yeah. Right, <laughs> they would just right. retreat. They were like, I hate it here. I'm just going to block it out. And I'm just... And then all the people who wanted to talk all the time and just were a nonstop black hole of the needs for attention <laughs> shattered endlessly. And then the rest of us just tried to block them out. Like it did not foster creativity. It was just sort of like, let's all hunker down and get through this because this is horrible. Can, can I ask you what you did? Because I remember you saying kind of with your role, mornings and stuff and meetings, you'd have to help out, get things prepared. And then sometimes in the afternoon, you got to kind of do writing. Mm-hmm. Um, could you ever hunker down or did you always have to be aware of phones and other things? So the phone never rang. It was a very odd job. Like I, we never got phone calls. I never had to answer the phone. That was one of the huge bonuses where I was like, I'm definitely staying here because I never have to answer the phone. <laughs> um, 
and no one ever checked on me. So I could leave whenever I wanted. I was like, oh, I have to go run an errand. I have to go pick up scotch tape. We're out of scotch tape. And I would like run across the street to get scotch tape because we were in a you know little town area. Or I'd be like, oh, someone's mouse broke. I have to run down to Radio Shack and get a mouse. But like I was always in and out, right? And then the other people I worked with would have big meetings off in the conference room. So I'd be like, oh, they're having their afternoon meeting. They're going to be in there for two hours. Like I'll just do my writing now, right? So I would work it around. Um, and also the last office we were in, my desk was quite a ways away from everyone else, which was lovely. Everyone on staff, they're like, Lauren, you must be so lonely over there. And I was like, I love it. Don't come <laughs> near me. Um, but you know, it's so funny. I was telling my class this last night. I said a lot of empaths and intuitives, like we're all healers. And a lot of us are unconscious healers. We don't know that we're healers, mm -hmm. but we'll still try to heal people whenever we can. And I was like that for a lot of years. And it ended up, I would, I just put a chair in front of my desk because I was the unofficial counselor at my company. So like anytime somebody had a break, they would just come sit with me. And I knew I could feel when they sat down, I'd be like, how's it going? What's going on today? How are we feeling? And we would end up unpacking their stuff. Like the most um, unemotional extroverted people would come to me and be like, well, I don't know. I just talked to the manager and they said this. And I'm like, so it sounds like you're feeling upset. Okay. Let's look at that. Like, you know, I was like the psychiatrist and they ended up, um, my coworkers got me a mug with Lucy from Charlie Brown on it with her little psychiatrist stand where you put five cents in, you know, like, oh, it's a joke that Lauren is the office psychiatrist. And I was like, it's not a joke. Yeah, <laughs> All of you need help, <laughs> you know? And that leads me to, I guess something, something else has just come to mind hearing you say that. Because I noticed myself doing that in a lot of interactions. Being the counselor. Even the guy, I was, I was sat in a jacuzzi at the gym the other day. And the guy, oh, what do you do? It's like, oh, I'm a, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a writer. Uh, he was like, oh, it's interesting. I've been thinking about a book. And he, he, shared, all, he shared all sorts in about 10 minutes. Um, and we're good at that. But something else I'm aware of is like we, we were talking about energy and like my bucket and my mental health. And how, how do we navigate the world such that we honor our healing and our gifts and we get a lot of energy and nourishment from that? but also don't burn ourselves out in the process through mm -hmm. real life um, spontaneous interactions, planned interactions like this call, like, you know, recordings, like the class you're giving. Um, emails is a big one. Um, and something I've, especially with this of late, um, I'm, I'm about to publish my book. Uh, and there's 50 authors who I'm having to send out updates to individually and then doing various bits with back and forth calls with some of them. And I'm having to um, be really polite. But also when I write emails, I almost uh, envisage myself replying, uh, being quite um, logical and matter of fact, as opposed to really giving from my heart, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if anything's coming up for you kind of with, with that. Well, there, there's a couple things. Um, so first I'll say in, in particular with the emails, this is a this is something I've had to learn over years. And I, I just used it the other day. Um, this younger kid, 17, emailed me for advice. He had like five or six questions about being a writer. 
And each of the questions were so broad. I could have easily written six pages for each. And I wanted to. Like, I was like, oh, he's just starting out. I need to give him all this wisdom I've learned over 25 years, you know, and I wanted to really go so in depth and teach him and mentor him and, you know, write all this. I don't have time, you know, so I put it aside. Like, that's my rule for all emails. I never answer anything immediately. I put it aside and let it sit for a minute. And then I was sitting with it. And after a few days, I was like, oh, just answer the question asked, Lauren. (laughs) That's really hard for me. Like, just answer what you were directly asked. You don't need to write six pages. That might be helpful. That might be cool, but you don't need to, right? Mm -hmm. So when I went back in and I literally just answered, like you said, from a more logical, direct way, I just answered what was asked. It was way quicker. It used way less of my energy and it answered his questions, right? So that's something I've had to learn because I want to pour out pages and pages and I want to go really deep. We want to give out more. We want to go above and beyond. And we also sometimes energetically will get more like, okay, they've asked this, but actually there's some other stuff that'll help or beneath that, they probably also wanted to ask this. So yeah, I've also, I guess part of my being more matter of fact is doing exactly that, just really sticking to the point. So, the yeah, I, I think what it is, it's we have a tendency to overgive. Mm-hmm. So we're putting the boundary of like only give what was asked for. You don't need to overgive past that point because every time you overgive, you're drawing out of your energy bank account a little bit more, a little bit more, right? Like they asked for five dollars, you don't need to give them twenty. Because that's what we tend to do. Everybody who asks us for $5, we give them 20. And then at the end of the month, we're like, well, I'm broke. What happened? I'm overdrawn. That's a, that's a great analogy. Right? Like really look at what they're asking for and only give them what they're asking for. You don't know, you don't need to go beyond that. So that's number one. And then number two, I think um, studying psychology, studying energetic patterns with people, a lot of people, once you really start learning about patterns and observing, you can tell like they're going to show up and they're going to want a bunch of your energy and they might say they want advice or help. They're not going to take any of it. And then they're going to show up next week doing the same thing. That's how they are in the world. Mm-hmm. You know? And maybe it's like the guy in the jacuzzi where you're, you're like, oh, I'm a writer. And he's like, hey, let me tell you about the book I want to write. Like he just kind of does that to people, right? Like you could have been the cashier. You could have been the guy in the locker room and he's going to be like, Hey, I'm just going to kind of dump out all my stuff on you and then run away and do it to someone else. So once you can spot that and not take it personally and just be like, Oh, this person's just going to kind of come in, throw a bunch of confetti everywhere and then leave. I don't need to get that entangled with it. Right. I can just kind of stand there and let the confetti fall on me. And then wait till they leave. Like, I don't need to get into the confetti with them and try to help them pick it up and clean it up after them. Right. I think that's another thing. Yeah. Actually, it came up even before you, you said it, when you alluded to it. Um, what do they, what do they say? You can't, you, you, I always forget it. Is it, you can't lead a horse to water or you can lead the horse to water? Oh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yeah. So whereas I've had to learn this in all walks of my life, trying to bring people up with me, it's not for me to do that, actually. It's for me to hold a space and there's an invitation there. 
but I don't actually need to try and do everything I can to like get right underneath them and then put them on my shoulder and then carry them up the stairs, you know? Well, and then on the flip side of that, you know, I can see the people where I'm like, I could see them again in 10 years. They're going to be doing the same thing. They're like caught in a sequence and they just do the same sequence over and over. There's other people where I'm like, they have a ton of potential. They just need a foot in the door or a step up. Like I can spot those people very clearly. And I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to invest extra time and energy in them because I know they're ready to shift. I know they're ready to heal. I know they're ready to do it. Right. And that's just practice. That's just years and years of me interacting with people and seeing who is really there and who is only saying they're there on an energy level. Right. I've got a huge question. It's going to be really difficult to answer because I'm not sure it can be answered with words. Oh, okay. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. It's one of those. But like, because when it comes to energetic readiness what is that is that conscious is that nature is it nurture is it random there's something you shared with me uh one of the things you you shared which really stuck with me and you were like um which feels really relevant and poignant here we're all playing it we're all in a computer game some of us are on different games some of us on different levels different characters it's just different and that really helped me because I was like, everyone's just in a different place with a different reality, different timing. But yeah, like that energetic readiness, is it more something you just, it, I, that it just is? Is it, I, I don't know if I'm even making sense with what I'm you are, Yeah, you are. I mean, it, okay, there's two answers. Yes, it just is. And it's also a mixed bag. So I feel like it honestly is more simple than it seems. It comes down to two, two things. So number one, does the person have the energetic resources to, to move forward, to heal, to shift, to to make the leap, to change? Do they actually have the energetic resources? That's not something that they can fully control. Mm -hmm. If someone has lived a, a life where they have been in shame and guilt for almost all of the time, and that's all they have known, and that's all they have experienced. They absolutely do not have the energetic resources to make a leap up to being in joy and peace all the time. It's too big of a shift. It's not good for them. It's like, it's trying to put something way too big in way too small of a container, right? Their energetic system knows that. You cannot move that far on the spectrum that fast. You've got to give the person time to integrate and stretch the system, right? It's kind of like when people stretch their earlobes out, right? They have those like really big plugs. You don't just put the really big plug in all at once. Like you can't, your earlobe can't handle it. You have to start small. You have to stretch over time. It's a whole process, right? And that's why I always say, if people are really trying to shift out of the lower fields, don't aim for bliss, joy, peace. Like you're not trying to be the Dalai Lama aim for neutrality, aim for anger, even like anger is a cut above and it's a different energy field that will be easier to access. And you can get more energy there than if you just try to go to straight to joy, you're not going to make it. You don't have the resources, right? Mm. That's, That's number one. And then number two, 
everybody gets a choice. Somebody might have the energetic resources. They might be like, okay, I'm at the tipping point. I can right now, I can leave behind the life of fear and I can go forward into the life of joy. I'm just scared and I'm too scared to do it. That's their choice as a soul. You can't talk them into it. You can't take that fear away from them. You can't make the choice easier. They have to make that choice. And some people are like, no, I'm not interested in going forward. It just seems too scary. I'm not doing that in this life. Sorry. Maybe next life. See you then. And you got to respect that. There's nothing you can do. So those are the, I think those are the two, the two prongs that we need to look at. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, Because there's something about, you know, when you talk about guilt and shame and joy and this, something in there about our story and the story we've made of ourselves if if the story it's possible for the story to change but for it to make such a dramatic change in a short space of time just doesn't really happen it's an ongoing that's what people don't see like you said like we have this story so if someone has grown up in shame and guilt they have a story about i suck i'm horrible i'm a worm right you're like wow that is such a painful story and it's also not true Mm-hmm. And it's just like sabotaging you in so many areas. Let's just take that story out and replace it. Right. And you see a lot of that in the self-help world, change your story, rewrite your story. Like that's cool. But what we're not seeing is we are identified with our stories. You cannot go into someone's psyche and rip out their story and completely disrupt their identity and think it's going to be okay. And just replace it with something new. Well, now you've got a new identity where you're a happy person. Like they don't know that identity. It's like you took them out of their body and put them in a different body. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very disruptive to their system. And if they're not ready for it, it's going to cause a lot of mental instability, which is why people cling so hard to the story. Even if it's painful, even if it's self-sabotaging them, it's familiar. That's how they're grounded in this world. That is how they are identified. When you're changing your story, you're changing your identity. you got to go slow on that kind of stuff. Your psyche like needs time to integrate it, or you're just going to feel like you're having a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. or you're going to get further entrenched in the original story and be like, well, I'm never leaving. I'm gripping onto this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I just want, I just wanted to check in. Are we, um, it, are we recording for an hour today? Oh, I was going to go to 1130, but we can do it. I can do anything. All right. No, yeah, I just, I, I just, because we blocked out an hour in the calendar. So I just wanted to, yeah, check in with you. Oh, that was probably me being crazy. No, yeah, no, that, yeah, yeah, no, that, 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 that's fine. Um, Cause people seem to be listening to, some people seem to listen to the whole length of our conversation. I was like 90 minutes is quite, that's quite a commitment, isn't it? Well, maybe they're putting it on and falling asleep and then they're like, <laughs> oh, it's over. <laughs> it went the whole time. <laughs> But maybe we could do, should we, should we try like an, uh, about up to about an hour 15 today? Yeah, sure. Just to see how that, I'm just curious to try something different out. Um, but, um, the, I, I think some of it has come out naturally as we've been talking, but the first question you asked me was about the person who asked me my stuff, like how I learned to have learned to manage my energy and my sensitivity is there anything on your side that um, that you've not mentioned as yet, or you just want to perhaps talk more about for, for yourself and your own experience? It, it's, it's really, mine is really simple, but I say no a lot. Like I say no a lot. 
um, I'm really selective about the people who I bring into my world and the people I have interactions with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and a lot of times, like I'll have friends who'll be like, Oh, so-and-so's in town from high school. We should meet up with them. And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, why not? Like, that's so mean. And I'm like, you might see it as mean. I don't care. I never liked them. Like, I don't want to see them now. I haven't talked to them in 25 years. Like there's no reason for it. And it's just going to be a day eaten up that I could be doing better things. So like, I say no, a lot of, in a lot of ways. That sounds like some INTJ, your husband, just like being very intentional about who he's spending his time with, which is really healthy. Well, I learned it from my husband and um, one of my best friends is an ISTP and he's really good with saying no. Like he'll just say, no, I'm not interested. And I've watched him with other people. And I, and like, even if they have a negative reaction or try to guilt him into it, he's just like, no, I don't care. (laughs) Like he's so stoic about it. And they always just kind of like have their big reaction and they're messy all over the place. And then they wear themselves out and go off somewhere else. Right. Because that energy is just like, I think that this is where we can trip ourselves up. We let ourselves uh, tend to the energetic reaction that we get. The other thing I do, um, which I just really clued into this a couple weeks ago, like I always knew this was a recharge activity for me, but I didn't really put the pieces together is reading. Mm. And I just really realized that reading is a way that I regulate my nervous system. Wow. There's something about moving my eyes across a page, especially with a paper book. It, I feel like it calms me and it centers me and it, it really quiets my brain. And so I give myself now, I'd say at least two hours a day just to read. Like I read when I first wake up, that's what I do. I have a cup of coffee and I read. And then when I'm done with work for the day and I'm having like an hour break before dinner and my son and all that, I, I lay in the bed and read. And that really helps it. Like, Oh, I need to read a lot. And I let myself do it. I think a lot of sensitive people think that like reading too much is a luxury or an indulgence. I think a lot of us grew up with like, are you, you're in your room reading again, like come out and be social. So we kind of have like this stigma around it like oh i shouldn't be reading so much but i think it's a way that we do self-soothe and we calm ourselves i think you're so right you know like even for myself i'm like i will often read at the end of the day when i've like feels like i've earned it and i'm in bed and i'm relaxing or i'm on vacation mm-hmm. um that's really interesting to hear that it's kind of self-soothing uh, that feels really that feels really poignant um can I, may I ask what you're reading at the moment? I know you've always got all sorts of oh my God. stuff on the go. Yes, I'm reading everything. So right now, it's so funny that you asked that. I'm reading the weirdest book ever. I think it's called Cultivating Female Sexual Energy. Okay. So I picked it up because I wanted to learn about female sexual energy and sexuality, mm-hmm. but it's actually like um, Taoist practices to direct the energy. Huh. And the chapter I just finished today, I kid you not, it was about getting an obsidian stone that's in the shape of an egg. And then you, you put a weight on it and then you, you insert this in the vagina and you, you lift the weight with the vagina up to 10 pounds. Like I'm reading this and I'm like, what is this book? How, like, who are these people who are doing this? Like, I'm really interested in it, but I'm like, 
I don't know. Like, does this actually exist? Sorry, our viewers are going to be like, Lauren is crazy. Oh, or but, anyone, anyone tuning in for the first time is like, oh, wow. <laughs> what? I thought, I, I thought I'd tune in into a conversation on like sensitivity and energy. It's kind yeah, of and now it's like, it, oh, and the chapter's called. It is, well, it is chapter, related. It's called vaginal weightlifting. And I'm like, this is very interesting. I don't know that I could do it, but, but the book I read before this um, was um, the autobiography of Ronald Reagan's daughter, Patty hmm. Reagan. So that was completely random too, because I felt like I got all these psychological insights about Ronald Reagan. I've been curious about him for years. I like, when I was a little girl, I was like, something's going on with that guy. I don't know what it is. And I read this memoir and I was like, oh, the Ronald Reagan piece is complete. I have, okay. I can put that to bed now. Right. So like, that's the weird spectrum of things I read. Like I read everything, the weirdest things imaginable. I love it. Uh, I feel like I did not expect all that. (laughs) Well, I didn't, but, but you know, I I didn't know what to expect, but um, I feel like it's only right that I share a couple of things I'm reading. Yeah. Um, Here we go. I'm currently reading the mingling of souls, God's design for love, marriage, sex, and redemption. Oh, who's that by? That's by uh, a guy called Matt Chandler, um, Christian guy. And another one I'm reading, let's see, for my, the next one down is the Codependency Manifesto, actually, Lisa Romano. Oh, that one's great. Yeah. That Lisa, that's Lisa Romano. That one's really good. I, yeah. I one, love that's that one. one. That's, that's one that you recommended on a previous conversation. Mm-hmm um and i love it's interesting you mention ronald reagan and his daughter i recently read a really interesting piece about donald trump's niece Mm. uh who's very different from uncle donald apparently and there's all sorts of family stuff there she's written a book or two about him as well um and i'm really curious to read that book as a again a perspective and a window into the Trump family um, life. Yeah, you know, that. I think that's why I really like, by the way, for anyone who wants to know, the book is called The Way I See It by Patty Davis. And it's okay. P-A-T-T-I. It's Ronald Reagan's daughter. So I loved it because she's definitely one of us. Like she's a writer. She, I would bet my life she's an INFJ or an INFP. She's very intuitive. She's very sensitive. Um, she's completely different than her father, like very concerned about the environment, very mm. concerned about world peace, very concerned about, you know, the poor and the homeless and animals, like very creative, like she's one of us. Right. So her view of her dad were, cause I remember being young and I was like, there's something about Ronald Reagan that reminds me of my own father. So reading this and her observations where she was like, oh, my dad grew up in an alcoholic home never resolved that trauma, never addressed it and came up with all of these coping mechanisms where he, he just lived in the reality he wanted to live in. And if, if you told him anything he didn't like, he just blocked it out, you know? And it made sense where I was like, oh, I can see how that trickled down mm-hmm. as he was a president and the government in the 1980s. So it's interesting that you said like Donald Trump's niece is this sort of intuitive person on the outside of him, looking at him and saying, Oh, I can see. Oh, yeah. Psychologically, what's happening with him and why he is so blocked in some ways and in his heart is closed. Like, that's the view of people I'm interested in. I mean, I don't want to read the book where people are like, I hate Ronald Reagan. He's evil. Or I hate Donald Trump. He's evil. Like, I don't think any of these people are evil. I think 
they have like some really big trauma going on that's caused a lot of deep psychological dysfunction, which is what we're seeing on the surface, right? Like Mm -hmm. Donald Trump having to be so dominating and so aggressive and like something's going on there. Right. And I feel like so many people are just like, nope, he's, he's just evil. He -hmm. just sucks. And it's like, no, there's more to the story. There's always more to the story. I want the story. Well, I feel what we do is uh, uh, our INF intuitive types, we see the good in people and we tend to kind of believe that there's a reasoning behind what makes a person who they are uh, as we kind of perceive them. Um, I'm, I was just writing down some of these things we've mentioned for the notes. Um, may I ask the title of the first book that you shared with us? I think it's called Cultivating Female Sexual Energy. Okay. And it's on Amazon and it's like the universal Tao system, like T-A-O. Yeah. And they have a bunch of books out about like how to cultivate different kinds of energies and direct them through the, like the chi system of the body, which I am not well-versed in this at all, but if you're into it and it's not, they're not all like sexual books. Like some of them are just like how to clear out your blood circulation, you know, Right. but it's all that kind of stuff, like physical exercises and breathing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second one is the way I see it. Patty Davis. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks Lauren. Um, what else? Gosh, I don't know. We've covered so much. We have. We've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> like we've really <laughs> gone there. We've made up for the 10 years that we've not spoken since last time. I know. You know, I think I would, if we we're going to wrap up on one note, I would say that for sensitive people, our biggest block is not letting ourselves have what we need right? Like not letting ourselves have the downtime or the time to sit and read or the permission to not go out that day or the permission to just have the small coffee date. Like so much of the time, I think we guilt ourselves into taking on more and more obligations or doing too much or, oh, I'll just have a candy bar and get through it. You know, when we need to just not get through it, right? Like we need to give ourselves the permission to not get through it. (laughs) I think. Permission to read, to go for a walk, to knit, to do a jigsaw. There's something about these activities of doing not a lot, but kind of an activity. Like if you're walking, you're putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, If you're knitting, you're using your hands, jigsaw the same, reading, you're holding a book and you're scanning. I feel like these simple, low, low key activities are actually really super important for us. Well, there was something uh, like when the pandemic first kind of got started, I can't remember the term. It's like a Swedish or Danish or Norwegian term that was really popular for a moment, but it's kind of like the art of doing not much, right? It's like the lifestyle of of living in a way where everything you do is, is one thing at a time. It's very intentional. It's slowed down, you know? So like having a cup of tea, you're not trying to like frantically grab the cup of tea as you're typing on the computer it's like you slow down and you're making the cup of tea and then you're sitting with the cup of tea and you're not doing anything but drinking the cup of tea um and i can't remember the name of it it was really trendy for a minute like somebody wrote a book on it It was like something norwegian like heisergang i don't know i was like i don't know how to say that word but yeah there was a there's a danish word called huga which means cozy that's it is it yeah yeah what no is it huga yeah, H-Y-G-G-E. And then you got a book called like the little book of Hugger, which was like a little cozy. That's yeah. it. 
Yeah, it's sort of like just like the art of not doing much. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's, you know, during the pandemic and also just beyond now, because I'm feeling like during the pandemic has helped us really tuned into things that are healthy for us anyways. Watching, again, in terms of things I watch, uh, sometimes I just need, again, little maybe whether it's a little bit of an escape or just something really casual and chill and low intensity um like um like master chef like a cooking show like just a travel program like great rail journeys like i love that stuff something which was super interesting and not not intense i've just finished watching it it was called um the white the i think it's called the white lotus have you heard of this show Mm-mm. um and something else which has just popped up into my head. You mentioned him a while ago, and I was like, I've never heard of this guy. Bill Burr? Oh, I love oh him. Oh, my word. <laughs> I've been watching a bunch of Bill Burr, and um, yeah, he is not afraid to speak his truth and to say things. I find him hilarious. But you know what? So I think this is not enough because a lot of people see him, and they're like, he's offensive. Like, he's right. really just out there and kind of volatile. But I feel like the vibe I get from him, he's got a really good heart. Yeah. Like I can feel, I'm like, he's a good person. Like he feels very warm and sweet. And like, he's had a lot of hard stuff in his life and humor Mm -hmm. is kind of his way of defense. Right. How he's gotten through it. Yeah. But like, he's a lovely person and I can, I love him. I just want to give him a big hug. He probably wouldn't like that. But Yeah. I get a real warm spirit from him as well. Yeah. Warm spirit. That's what I get. Like yeah. that happens a lot where other people are like, he's offensive or he's abrasive or, or she is or whatever. But I'm like, no, I get that. They feel like a really warm spirit. They're just kind of like out there, you yeah. know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, this has been really fun. Like I say, I just, I, I just obviously enjoy our conversations, but I always feel uh, like I've learned something or just generally nourished and more seen and understood um, when we speak. So yeah, like, thanks as always. Yeah. And I, maybe next time I'll show up more prepared with, at least I'll know. I, I'll have some idea of what we're talking about. I don't know. No, but it's fine. I even, uh, we're quite honest in, in terms of how we do this, like what we've tending, what we've tending, what we have tended to do thus far is kind of have a theme or a thing in mind. But I also, um, I, I wouldn't have, I would have no, no issue with um, kind of showing up on the day and see what's coming up for us both. And kind of almost deciding on a whim. I feel like yeah. you and I can do that. Yeah. Oh, and I want to say, if, if people listen this far, um, and if they get it by this time, sign up for my email list because I'm putting on an online retreat in September, the weekend of September 10th, 11th, 12th. Mm. And Ritu is teaching. Claire O'Sullivan is teaching. Um, Ayelet Barron is teaching. Oh, wow. What a um, lineup. Peg Chang is teaching. Ooh. Anna Marie O'Brien is teaching. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's we're gonna have three workshops Saturday, three workshops Sunday. There's gonna be workshops on poetry, on dream work, intuitive writing with memoir, um, releasing stuff from your past, like how to pick your next creative project. Like it's gonna be really awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, that is some lineup. I know yeah. all of those, I know all of those names you've mentioned, and wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, and I'm I'm doing the opening ceremony Friday night, and I'll be doing a closing ceremony Sunday afternoon. 
Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. It's all online and you get the recordings afterwards, even if you can't make it in person, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're not on my email list, like sign up because it's going to be a really cool event. Really cool. Um, and yeah, for me, I'm actually doing a bunch of new stuff. Um, I'm stepping into a new, I don't know if you've seen Lauren, have, have I told you about my new things? Yeah, because I'm on your email list. Well, yeah, you right. told me, but I've been reading your email. Yeah, 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 right. So I wasn't sure if you'd, you'd seen or not. Yeah, so I'm kind of stepping into my being an independent artist. Um, I think I want to write more books and poetry and perform my poetry, uh, but also continue to serve um, other intuitive creatives who also want to create art, helping them create that authentically um, and kind of support them in, you know, sharing their work with the world and, you know, making money from it if they so wish. Um, mm -hmm. So my new home is indiewriter.net. I'm about to publish the indie author. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of part feeling things out as I go and part, I've got a bunch of ideas um, about, yeah, kind of what I'm going to be doing um, from here. So yeah, sounds like both of us have got some fun things going on. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I think I mean, the next few months, I think, are going to be really big and a lot of new things rolled out. So so all of you get on our lists. We're fun. We don't like we really are. Come on. <laughs> get on yeah. Our yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I don't want to say too much, but you and I might be working on something else. Right. That's exciting. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll say it. So I'm going to do these retreats every three months and I'm going to do another one in December all about highly sensitive people. And jazz is teaching. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. I've got some cool people lined up for that one too. I'm not gonna like say some the other names just yet. Yeah, but I don't I don't I, I, I don't actually want to know. I kind of want to be surprised until like you know near the time. So yeah. yeah. So that's December. Yeah. Um, and then like I said, I'm gonna do them every three months. And I'm gonna do the same thing, like three workshops Saturday, three workshops Sunday. You get all the recordings, right? For like, you know, one ticket. I think it's gonna be really, really fun. Yeah. I think so too. Um, and I actually wasn't thinking about that. There's a bigger thing maybe that we're going to be, but I know we don't want to maybe drop that. Oh in. yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many things. There, I'm are like, so oh, many yeah. things. there are so many things. We'll say more near the time, but there's another summit that we're working on. Yeah. Which yeah. is, yeah. Uh, yeah. A little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Same, but oh, I, don't want to, I don't want to say too much because we're yeah. still kind of talking about it, but yeah, we've just got, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of exciting stuff going on for not just us both, but now that you say it, I'm thinking of the other people I know, some of the names you've mentioned and just others in this world. People are up to new and exciting things where they're stepping in, they're adding extra bits. Mm -hmm. They're kind of maybe taking a different direction. There are, I feel like a lot of any uh, energy and, and stuff going on right now. Yeah, there definitely is. Well, and Lee Harris, I watch him all the time on YouTube. He said a lot of people are going to be hyper birthing right now. Ooh, okay. And I was like, oh, that's me. He's like, you're going to feel like you gave birth to triplets and now you're pregnant with triplets again. And I was like, that's me. Like, I feel like I'm just hyper birthing and I can't stop. Wow. Okay. So here's the hyper birthing. You know, after, after this book you're reading, maybe there will I be. Then maybe there will be. I need the weightlifting. Maybe there will be physical, you know, physical triplets also on the radar. Who knows? Oh God, you know, my stepmother had physical triplets. So good God, I've seen what that looks like and I'm not, I'm not into it. <laughs> I, I, I always think, you know, even twins must be kind of a handful, but yeah, triplets must be, I can't even imagine, you know. Oh. Yeah, she used to just line them up in an assembly line for everything. 
diapers, feeding, just line them up. It's just a system. Sounds efficient. I don't know mm -hmm. what I don't know what I do. Probably something similar. Thanks everyone for watching or listening. Uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Bye everyone. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. This podcast is an audio diary to document my writing journey and the conversations I'm having with fellow writers and creatives along the way. You can read my written diary and join my private newsletter by visiting www.indiewriter.net. My name's Jazz Hoti. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you again here soon.